Hey, good morning and welcome to Plaza Online. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here and just want to thank you for joining us, whether you're part of the Plaza family or it's your very first time. Thank you for um, hanging out with us today. We're going to be studying the scriptures. And so if you have a copy of God's word, I hope you can grab one. If you don't have one, that's okay. Uh, we're going to be putting some of the scriptures on the screen or love for you to use the Bible app. Or if you're watching our website, you can swipe on over. And uh, before we jump into the message today, want to just uh, let you know there are lots of ways to connect with us connection card online people have already mentioned that also uh, utilizing the text feature uh, for everybody and so if it's your first time you can text the word connect to us if you're brand new here uh, get some more information about our church get updates uh, if you have a prayer request you can text the word pray um, or if you just want to be part of our church-wide communications and regularly um, connected to different updates you can text the word loop and I know all that's been mentioned and any of those words can go to the number 757-239-3993. It goes to our office, and we're able to text with you. It's an awesome feature. I love it. And so would uh, encourage you to make use of that. Also, want to just remind you that uh, here in the month of February, we are fasting. And uh, sort of the recommendation as a church is that we'd fast every Friday in February from at least one meal. Maybe for you it's something different. It's not food. It's a uh, social media or the news or some other thing. Um, the main principle is this, is that you would um, give up that one thing and spend more time really seeking God, seeking God diligently. I'm seeking the Lord diligently for uh, his will over my life, over our church. And, and this is just a church-wide time of fasting in February. We want to do this. And so I really hope You'll join us, uh, even if you've never done it before. There are fasting guides. We'll put that link in the chat as well. It gives you some basic information and some things to do there to help you get started and give it a try. Uh, and then really uh, also for our church members, I want to remind you about our church covenant uh, signing, kind of the yearly renewal. And I want to encourage you to make sure you do that and uh, sign the covenant, send it back to us. Let us know uh, that you're part of the family. All right, we are starting brand new series today. Uh, really not super new, though, because before Christmas, we were in the book of Philippians uh, talking about indestructible joy that God gives us because the theme of the book of Philippians uh, is really joy. And if you don't know uh, anything about the book of Philippians, it's a small letter uh, that this guy named the Apostle Paul wrote to a church uh, kind of in uh, modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. And, um, and, and this church there was in a city called Philippi. And so uh, it's called the letter to the Philippians. So we're going to dive back into this letter, kind of where we left off um, in really November. And so uh, the sort of theme for the rest of this letter is a letter from lockdown. Uh, and I thought that was really kind of fitting for all of us because Paul is actually writing this letter from jail. He is locked down. And I know a lot of us have felt locked down this year. My goodness, uh, between all the stuff we have faced, we have definitely uh, felt like some quarantine and some lockdown is a struggle. But here's the beautiful thing about God, is that God is never quarantined. God is never locked down. There is nothing that has stopped him, nor his agenda, nor his plan and his mission from continuing to take place in the earth. People can come, people can go, kingdoms will rise and fall, countries will rise and fall, denominations will rise and fall, and God's kingdom God's people, God's message is going to continue. It can't be locked up. It can't be quarantined. It can't be stopped. And we, as Christians, no matter what church uh, or denomination you come from, we are part of this unstoppable movement. And so here is a letter from lockdown. We're going to check this letter out. The subtitle is this, 
a love worth dying for. A love worth dying for. That's the subtitle of the message um, today is a love worth dying for. And so as we talk about this idea, it's Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to you. You can put that in the chat. Uh, maybe you already celebrated Valentine's uh, over the weekend. Maybe you're going to celebrate today. Uh, maybe you don't have anyone to celebrate with. Well, guess what? You always have someone to celebrate Valentine's with because uh, if you have Christ in your life, you have uh, the most amazing love, the most amount of love that anyone could ever have. And so uh, let me just encourage you that there is a love uh, beyond this world. There is a love that has climbed the, the highest mountain, that has swam the deepest ocean for you for me, and that's the love of Christ. And so there is a love worth dying for. And uh, as we jump into the text that was read earlier in chapter two, that's where we're going to be hanging out for a while. And uh, I want to just share with you a couple things as also February is Black History Month. And I don't know about you, but I love learning about the the heroes um, that, that sometimes aren't always taught in school. People I've had to learn about, people I love teaching my kids about, you know, and, um, and now, you know, this has been going on for many years now. Uh, thank the Lord for that. And, and so there are some names that are common, you know, names like Langston Hughes, you know, and I love learning uh, about his story or Thoroughgood Marshall. Uh, Jackie Robinson obviously is very uh, popular uh, because uh, of, you know, recent achievements uh, and, and somewhat near history, uh, or even folks like Mary McLeod Bethune. Um, and my, one of my personal favorites is uh, George Washington Carver because I happen to have a love of peanut butter. And, um, and he is credited um, with sort of the invention, if you will, of peanut butter. By the way, if you're interested, uh, amazing biographies to check out on George Washington Carver. Um, and uh, how he discovered that was he was seeking the Lord. The economy of the South um, was tanked, uh, obviously, after slavery. And, and so they were struggling with what to do. And um, George Washington Carver was such a man of integrity. He was seeking to help the economy of the South. Um, and um, he sought the Lord. He would go on prayer walks throughout nature, throughout uh, the area where he lived, and just ask the Lord. And he said, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, uh, George, I want you to take um, the peanut into your lab. And I want you to examine that thing inside and out and break it down. And he came up with hundreds of uses for the peanut. And, of course, uh, my most um, favorite piece is peanut butter. I just love peanut butter if anybody knows me. So anyhow, but more than these characters, when we think about heroes, when we think about characteristics of, you know, um, godliness, characteristics of holiness, characteristics of righteousness and goodness and faith and joy, um, I don't get pictures necessarily of, you know, famous people in history. I tend to think about people that I actually know, um, people uh, that have been part of my life, people that have been a part of our church. And so as I think about uh, heroes of the faith, I'm usually thinking about people I actually have a personal relationship with. And uh, I know I've been blessed by so many of the people that God has placed in my life, many of them church members here that are part of our Plaza family. Some of them have gone home to be with the Lord. And, uh, but when I think about just characteristics um, of of. Uh, godliness, I think about actual individuals, some of the people that have come to mind, and uh, even during, uh, you know, sort of my even personal Black History Month are are people that I know, people like uh, Joe and Alverta Littles. Uh, These are people, when I think about really the characteristic of encouragement, this is a couple uh, that I think about that has encouraged people in our church with joy um, and have exuded joy. And Brother Joe went home 
to be with the Lord uh, earlier this year. Uh, but even in the midst of that, even in the midst of grief, I've seen uh, his wife just uh, walk with joy and encouragement. They would forever be encouraging me and my family. Um, I, I, you know, uh, folks at our church often would send us cards, and I can remember many of the cards they have sent us. Even at various times, we don't always get cards. Uh, they would send those out. When I think about um, faithfulness, the characteristic of faithfulness, um, I think about Christ, but I also think about one of the ladies at our church named uh, Miss Cece Williams. And Miss Cece has been a faithful servant of our church for many, many years. Uh, she served in a variety of different ministries. Uh, she's helped out in our academy, in our preschool, and worked in our little library that we've had here for many years. And she would just read to the kids. Uh, but I think the most uh, uh, pertinent example I think of in faithfulness is her teaching Sunday school for kindergartners. Uh, we had a Bible study class we called Sunday School for Kindergartners. And she taught all of my kids, really. Um, and, uh, and my kids span an age gap of uh, over 10 years. And, um, and, you know, she just stayed in there. She stayed in there when. Some volunteers would come and go when we struggled to find volunteers, when some people would be in a class for all. She was just steady and faithful. And so when I think about faithfulness, I think about um, Christ, but I also think about the actual examples of people that I've seen just continue to not do it for glory, not do it for fame, but, but do it because they love Jesus. And, uh, and Miss Cece is one of those people. Another gentleman I think about, we were just talking in our office actually about him. He was one of our deacons here for many years. His name was Larry Dandy. And uh, I think about, you know, just um, the, the characteristic of, uh, you know, a welcoming and encouraging spirit, uh, someone who's inviting other people in, you know. And, um, and uh, one of our ladies in our office, Miss Sharon, was actually saying, the reason I came to church was because of Brother Larry Dandy. I'd met him at a class at TCC and he invited me. And, um, and I remember coming here and I remember him even speaking to me as a young person. And uh, he just had that, um, you know, attitude. And so what a blessing as I think about him as really a hero of faith. Another brother who has gone on really to be uh, with the Lord was a brother named Bill Bowser. And Bill Bowser looked uh, like the Mario character, Bowser. I mean, he was a big man. You could probably fit me inside of his chest. He looked like a football player. I mean, he was massive. Uh, but he was the gentlest giant that I'd ever met. And again, uh, exuding the spirit of Christ and showing the hands and the feet of Christ. And man, he would welcome anybody who came to our church with a humongous handshake and a hug, a bear hug that would just wrap you up. And his uh, wife, who uh, is still with us today and just a faithful woman, uh, Mary Bowser, I, I've just always seen her as such a generous person. She would always give to our, our youth group. Anytime kids needed funds to go on trips or for things like that, she would always want to make sure that she could be a part of giving to that. And uh, oftentimes our teenagers would go over to work at her house and she was gracious to bring them snacks or bring them tea or lemonade. I mean, it was always an amazing thing. And I was so encouraged by that. And so when I think about the characteristics of people, I just don't think about uh, people off. I think about people that I know. And what's happening in this text here that was read earlier and what Paul is giving us is he's doing the same thing. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 gives us this amazing poem really about Christ. And there's, I mean, amazing theology here, deep theology. Sometimes uh, people have argued about what these verses mean in Philippians 2 for hundreds of years about um, what's called Christology or Christology, the study of the nature of Christ. 
and, um, and they can argue for years. And, and Paul gives us this beautiful, deep theology. But then, like a good preacher, he always gives us some very practical examples. And so in this text here, we're going to see two practical examples of two different individuals that have shown us Christ. And, and that's the beautiful thing. And so there is deep theology, but then there is practical examples, thinking about the individuals who exude these characteristics, who show us Christ. And so I want to give you uh, just a couple of things to write down as we talk about a love worth dying for. And uh, number one, you can write this down, is this. I am called to live selflessly courageous. I'm called to live selflessly courageous as a Christian. I'm called to live a selflessly courageous life. And um, Paul is going to tell us about this one gentleman here. His name is going to be Timothy, and he's referenced throughout the uh, New Testament. But he's going to tell us about Timothy living this selfless and this courageous life, much like Christ. And so we're going to jump into the text here. Let's just look at verse 18, and you can see it there. We'll put it on there. Verse 18 says this. He says, likewise, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, what did he say before that? He said, man, I am being poured out like a drink offering. Um, This is what Paul said. He said, you know, my life has almost come to the end and and I'm I'm in jail and I'm struggling, but I want you to rejoice with me. Um, I I want you to be glad with me. Why? Then he goes on really in verse 19 and he says this, verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord to send to you Timothy. And I hope to send him to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you because I have no one like him. Let me just pause uh, right there for a quick second and give you this background on Timothy. Timothy was Paul's traveling partner. Uh, he ended up being uh, you know, an elder in a church at another location, uh, but he was always right there for Paul. And so Timothy actually uh, helped write this letter. We don't know that Paul's health condition was bad, but in the first verse of uh, chapter one, he says, hey, Timothy has sort of helped me compose this. And, uh, and so Timothy has been right there with Paul the whole time. And um, the Philippian church was going to send a gift to Paul by uh, way of a man named Epaphroditus. And then he was hoping uh, to stay with Paul and then for Timothy to go to them and give a report. And so these two guys were going to switch places. And so Paul is saying in this, uh, you know, verse 19, he's saying, listen, I hope to be able to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you, you know, but, but he says, Man, this is not going to be able to happen. Then verse 20, notice what he says about Timothy and his selfless courage. He says this, verse 20 goes on. For I have no one like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Notice Timothy is not a selfish person. He is concerned about the welfare of other people. He's concerned about the welfare of Paul. He's concerned about the welfare of this church in Philippi. And, um, and, so he, and, and Paul says, look, I've got no one like him. And then look at verse 21. It goes on to say this. For they, all other people, all other people, they all seek what? Their own, what does it say? Interest. Their own interest. Not those of Jesus. Man, he's saying, look, Timothy is a guy here. Who, who is, is seeking not his interest. He is not a selfish 
person, but he is seeking the interests of others. But man, there are all kinds of people out there, all kinds of people, and they seek their own interests. And now, why am I pointing this out? Because again, um, we're connecting this to the earlier part of the chapter where Paul gives, again, deep theology and challenges to Christians, and then he gives us these examples. He says, Timothy is an example of someone who is not looking to his own interests. Let me just pull up that verse for you in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It says this. This was the challenge um, uh, earlier in the chapter. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider what? Others more significant than yourselves. That verse right there, we could just stay on that verse for probably a year, right? And, and if you were with us in November, I, I said, man, I, that was one of the first verses I memorized as a Christian. And, uh, and, and I, I worked on that verse for a year, just learning how to do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit and, and in humility count others as more important or more significant than myself. Man, that is a powerful verse. And then he goes on, right, in verse 4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, right? That's the same phrase we saw about Timothy, right? Look, look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of who? Others. And then he says this, have this mind among yourselves. This is the mind of Christ. What is he saying here? Timothy is a person who is not seeking, seeking his own interests, but he's seeking the interests of others. And this is how we are to be as Christians. But let's just be honest. All of us, myself included, we have a bent to do what? Take care of numero uno. I mean, that's my first priority in the day. I'm thinking more about me than I'm thinking about my wife or my kids. I, if, if I don't get the mind of Christ in me, I'm going to look out for my own selfish interests. And so this is not automatic just because you become a Christian. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, said, like, we have to get the gospel message. And the gospel is good news. But we got to pound it into our heads so that it sinks down into us. And so uh, it, it doesn't just come to us automatically. But Christians, we are called not to live by selfish ambition focused on themselves to put their needs first. No, we put others' needs, others' desires first. And churches must do this too. Uh, A lot of times churches get comfortable about themselves and people want to come to church to get their needs met. They want to say, how can Jesus benefit me? How can the church benefit me? And they think that a church, and I know none of you have ever thought this way. No, 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 none of us have. We think that a church is a hotel to help us. Uh, we think that a church is, um, you know, a, a, a buffet line to serve us and the people there uh, and the staff or whatever are there to take care of us. Instead of the opposite analogy, which is really a, a church is, is a warship, right? There's no comfortable seats. It's not a cruise ship where everyone caters to your needs and we put on a show and play some music and, and you get your needs met. Oh, no. But the church is a warship. And there are hard metal chairs, and and we are working together. We are banding together to accomplish a mission, to accomplish a task. And and we, we have great camaraderie with each other because we're focused not on ourselves. We're focused on the mission that God has put us on of reaching those who don't yet know Christ, of being a blessing to our community. And so we have to always remember this, not to put our own selfish ambition first. Because listen... Jesus is our model, and and, and this whole Philippians chapter 2 is about Christ. And then these two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But Jesus was the one who had advantage, and he didn't use his advantage for his own good. He used his advantage to help those who were less fortunate. He came to help us. And so Timothy is a person who uses his advantage 
for the advantage of others. Let me give you a scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, Jesus was rich, right? Uh, Perfect in the Trinity. And then it says this. Yet for your sake, for whose sake? Your sake, say it out loud in your house. Your sake, he became poor. Though Christ was rich, he became poor for your sake. So that you and me by his poverty might become rich. Pastor, how am I rich? Man, if you know Christ, you have the riches of all of heaven. We're not talking about temporary trinkets of silver or gold of this earth. Those things are going to be worthless one day. Those are all going to burn, rot, and rust. But man, we have an eternal treasure that far outweighs anything on this earth. And so we have to remember this, that Christ Though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. And we are called to do the same thing, to live selflessly courageous lives for others, not thinking about ourselves. This is called the mind of Christ. And again, it's, it's not automatic. And how do you get this mind? Well, you have got to do something very specific. Romans chapter two, 12, verse 2 says this. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Our culture is going to try to conform you. The music, the, the, the shows, even your family and popular teaching, they're going to try to conform you to their image. But Christians must be transformed. Our minds must be changed. Notice what it says there. Must be transformed by what? What transforms us? Man, we got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. By the renewing of our minds. How do we renew our minds? We have our minds renewed by abiding, right? That's why we talk about abiding and by being in the scriptures. Because it's not automatic. Automatic is to take care of me first. But Christians, as they're molded into the life of Christ, man, they start to think about others. Let me serve those in my family. Let me serve my sister. Let me serve my brother. Let me serve my, my husband. Let me serve my spouse. Let me serve my coworker. Let me serve those in my neighborhood. How can I be selflessly courageous? That's the mark of a Christian. That's what Timothy is, is showing us there. Now, lest you think Timothy was perfect, let me just give us a release valve. Timothy was not perfect. Timothy had his issues. We're catching Timothy at a good moment here where Paul is, uh, uh, you know, showing us him. But Paul had to write in the letter to Timothy to say, hey, look, Timothy, man, you, you can't be afraid of people. You've got to have power. You've got to have courage and a sound mind and discipline, all this stuff, because uh, Timothy, you're getting a little weak there, buddy. And, um, and so, listen, we're not saying we're going to be selflessly courageous perfectly. No, 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 not at all. But this is what we strive for. This is what the power of Christ begins to change in us. And if, and if that's not changing in you, listen to me now. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But if there's no change towards uh, becoming a, a less selfish person and a more selfless person, well, then you've got to ask yourself, man, did I really come to know Christ? That's a, a good question for you to ask yourself. And so um, let's check out the rest of the text here in Philippians, and we're going to look at verse 22. We just barely got to the first uh, part of the text here. But again, that, that was Timothy, right? And, um, and he is not seeking his own interest, but he's seeking those of Christ. Verse 22, he says this, but you know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's proven himself, and how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Notice the discipleship relationship here between um, Paul and Timothy. It's, it's family. He, 
Paul is his spiritual father, and he is a spiritual son. And again, that's what discipleship is all about. It is relational, not just Bible study. And so he continues on, right? Notice what he says. He's proven himself. You can trust Timothy, right? With the Father, he served with me in the gospel. Verse 23, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. In other words, what does it mean by that? Paul knows that he is being charged with a capital crime here. He knows that this could result in his death. He is awaiting his sentence. He is in a Roman uh, jail and awaiting his sentence, and he doesn't know how it's going to go with him. He wishes and he hopes to be able to send Timothy to give them a report um, because, again, there's no phones or texts or emails, and so letters got to go by couriers. And so he's like, man, I, I really wish I could send Timothy to you, but he's here with me, and, and we're not sure how this thing is going to turn out. Uh, then verse 24, he goes on. And he says this, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so what are we discussing here? What are we talking about? We're talking about Timothy's selfless courage. And, you know, um, the barrier to this, the problem with this in my life, the barrier to this in my life, the trouble with this in my life, the rub is this. Do I actually believe that doing things God's way is better than doing it my way or the culture's way? Because the culture will tell us, hey, listen, listen, do something, serve some people, but you got to reserve for you got to reserve a little bit for yourself. You got to still look out for numero uno. And so, yeah, 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 go to church, but but just don't get too involved. Yeah, yeah, go to church and, and give a little bit. Don't give too much. Don't get too caught up in that. Don't don't get too you got to look out for yourself. But Jesus actually says the very opposite words to us. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples very plainly this. He says, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's not popular preaching there. Deny yourself. Becoming a Christian means I deny myself and I take up my cross. May I remind you, a cross is not just pretty jewelry for our day. The cross was a tool of torture and execution. And he's saying becoming a Christian means following me, but also following me in the trials and the suffering. You want to follow me? You will end up taking your cross up. And so this idea of protect yourself, cover yourself, and yeah, maybe give a little bit, but don't get too involved there. That's foreign to Jesus. Notice the very next words that Jesus speaks in that same chapter, verse 25. He says this, for whoever would save his life will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. See, the kingdom of God works different than the kingdom of our culture. We've all been taught, no, protect yourself, get what you can, look out for you, you know, take care of you. Jesus says, no, no, no. When you become part of my kingdom, we give away our lives. We give away our lives for the sake of the lost. We give away our lives for the sake of others. And if you really want to find life, you will find life when you begin holding it openly with a loose hand and losing your life, then you will truly find it. But if you try to grasp onto your life and you try to hold back, you're you're really going to not have life. And so this idea that, you know, hey, you can can do a little bit, but just be a little selfish, you know? No, that that life won't be a life worth living. And so we've got to be selflessly courageous people. The question is, who do you believe? Who do you believe? 
It's an issue of control. And do you and I believe, do we want to remain in control of our lives or the illusion of control? Or do we honestly believe that things will go better for us if we do things God's way? Some of us are waiting to start giving, you know, uh, uh, and we're just giving a little bit here or there. We give out of the disposable income. If I get some extra money, yeah, I'll toss it. I'll give it and I'll help someone else. I'll help the homeless or I'll give to this or I'll give to the church. And, and the Bible says, no, that's not selfishly courageous. No, we're called to give out of obedience to Christ. We're called to give over and above what we think we can do. And, and, and some of us want to serve God out of the disposable. If I have time to help out with that thing, I might do it. And see, that's not the attitude of a Christian. We're called to be selflessly courageous. The reality is we actually believe the lie. I've been guilty of it too. I'm st- I still wrestle with this just like everybody else that I actually believe that I've got to protect myself instead of giving my life away like Christ gave his life away. So we believe in putting ourselves first. But man, I want to be obeying God fully. Not saying, hey, you can obey God a little bit, right? Um, And and, and we try to obey God a little bit to, to say and make ourselves feel like we're a good person. We'll help out a little here or there. But don't let it get too costly. No, that's the exact opposite. Jesus said, man, those who lose their lives will actually find it. Then he goes on to say this. This is perhaps one of the more more well-known verses is this, verse 26. He says, for what will it profit? What will it profit or what will you gain if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his what? His soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so let's be like Timothy. Let's be selfishly, selflessly, excuse me. We're already selfishly, right? Let's be selflessly courageous. So the question is, do you seek the interests of Christ? Like Timothy, uh, like it says in the text here, are you a person who is seeking the interests of Christ, seeking the interests of others in your school, at your job, in your own home, in your community, at the grocery store? Because Paul says, I have no one else like him. I have no one else like Timothy who is genuinely concerned. Are you genuinely concerned for the other people in your life? And that's a challenge for me. Am I genuinely concerned about my family? Am, am, I, am I seeking their interests and, and the good of them above my own? Man, that's a big challenge. And so let me encourage you to think about that. And so let's be like Timothy. So again, point number one is this. I am called to live selflessly courageous. I'm called to live selflessly courageous. Point number two is this. I am called to live sacrificially courageous. Sacrificially courageous. Just a slight change there uh, in the word there. So I know, you know, that's always tough to, uh, to get the spelling correct there, right? Uh, I use spell check. So I am called to live sacrificially courageous, where I begin to sacrifice. So this little... Um, portion of the sermon here. This little character we're going to look at here, uh, we're going to call this Risky E and Death Row Records. Risky E and Death Row Records. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, you're probably better off. But we're going to learn about this character here. His name is Epaphroditus. But I prefer to call him Risky E, not Easy E, okay? And um, uh, not Easy E who wants to take it easy, no, this is Risky E, who is risking himself. I was going to call him Big E, because uh, I had some friends back in the days, we'd call him, yo, what up, Big E? And, um, and I, so I didn't want to call him Big E. Uh, I, 
I wanted his name, you know, to really have something to do uh, with his character. And so, uh, so some other ideas. You can put this in chat. Which name do you like best? And uh, we'll put a little picture up here uh, for anybody who wants a picture of Risky E. And instead of his black hat that says Compton or uh, the Raiders or the Kings, it says the Gospel. We had to do a little Photoshop to fix that. And um, and so anyhow, there's Risky E. But you tell me, what do you like in the chat? You like Risky E better, or how about this, Courageous E? Is that one better? Can we get a vote on that? Uh, how about brave E or heroic E or for all the divergent fans? How about dauntless E? All right. You, you get to pick or risky E. You put that in the chat. Which one do you like? Um, risky E, courageous E, brave E, heroic E, dauntless E. His name is Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus is a whole lot to say. In fact, um, his name actually means one who is beloved by the goddess um, Aphrodite, which is the, the, the pagan, the Roman god of love and sexuality. And so this shows us that uh, Risky E and Death Row Records here actually came from an unbelieving background. He came from a pagan background and, uh, because his name even uh, pays homage to one of the pagan gods. Uh, but here, Risky E sacrificed his life for the sake of the gospel. He sacrificed his life to help Paul um, and so he is sent by the church at Philippi. He was volunteered or he volunteered himself. I don't know how it worked. And he had to make this long journey from uh, the area of Macedonia there, kind of modern day Turkey, all the way to Rome. And, um, and he is sent to give Paul a gift. And then he is sent really to um, help Paul and become his personal assistant or his personal attendant. He is giving up his life and he is going to come there and take Timothy's place and he is going to stay and serve Paul. And, and he's going to forego whatever he had back at home, uh, whatever plans he had. And so he's taking this gift to them and he's going to give his life to help Paul. Now, Paul is on death row, death row records here. He is uh, getting ready to be charged with a capital crime. And so even just being associated with the Apostle Paul is risky for risky E here, Epaphroditus. And so, man, this is a guy who is being, again, sacrificing his plans, sacrificing his life, doing something costly for the sake of the gospel. And so let's check out verse 25 here and see what Paul has to say about risky E and death row records. Verse 25 says this. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you risky E, or Epaphroditus. Notice what he says here, my brother. Notice again the familial relationship here amongst the disciples. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Three sort of adjectives that he uses here. My brother, there is a kinship between all Christians. Got different backgrounds, got different languages, got different cultures, western, southern, northern. I mean, all different stuff. I hope you know you have more in common with a Christian from another country than you have with an American with with the same uh, twang, the same you know, geographic location as you, uh, same political affiliation. You have more in common with another Christian in another country than, than you do with uh, people in our own country uh, and of uh, similar backgrounds. Because, man, once under Christ, we are one family and unified, and, and we, our minds have been changed and transformed, and now we have so much in common. It's amazing to meet believers from other countries and realize, man, how much we have in common because of Christ. And so he says, my brother, 
Then he says this. He says, my fellow worker. Man, he's, he's saying, uh, Risky E is working with me. He's a co-laborer, is often used throughout Scripture. He has helped me in the ministry. But then he does say he's a co-laborer. He says he is a fellow soldier. Again, connotating that he has put his life at risk by joining me in this battle, a spiritual battle. And so notice the kinship here, co-laborer, fellow soldier. But then he goes on to say this, right? In that same text, or he says, he's my brother, fellow worker. But then he goes on to say this. He says, and your messenger and minister to my need. And so, man, Epaphroditus or Risky E here, he was a messenger and a minister. Let me just break down these two words there because he says your messenger. And, and um, man, the root word here is really the same word used for apostles. Now, I'm not saying he was an apostle, um, but the actual uh, apostles meant ones who are sent out, sent out ones. That's what the word means. And so, um, man, he is saying Risky here was sent out, but he's also wanting to make sure that Risky E is honored and appreciated by the church. Um, Because actually what happens here, we're going to find out in the text, is that Risky E got sick. And we don't know whether it was a plague, like much like we have today, uh, or, or what happened. Um, but, but he got sick, and, um, and he was supposed to stay with Paul, but Paul instead sends him back. And in this culture, uh, this is again is a Middle East culture, and so it's a shame-honor culture. And if you know anything about shame-honor cultures, man, if you don't complete the task, you are shamed. You've brought shame upon your family. You've brought shame upon your village. You've brought shame upon your people and community. And, uh, I mean, probably one of the easiest examples you might have seen in popular movies is, you know, uh, Japanese uh, soldiers who, you know, fall upon their swords when they lose the battles because, man, they don't want to bring shame and reproach upon their people. And, um, and so there could be shame on, on, on Risky E here um, because he has not been able to complete the task. He was bringing this monetary gift to help Paul, and he was supposed to stay. But Paul is like, man, this guy is so sick. It's not good for him to stay here. I'm sending him back to you. And Paul says, I don't want you to shame him. I want you to honor him. And so I want you to know that, that he's my brother. He's my co-laborer. He is my fellow worker. And then, again, we're going to look at that text again. Notice that they say it's, he's the messenger. He's the messenger. And then he says he's also the minister. He's saying, man, he's like an apostle. He's like an apostle. And then the word minister there, man, this is an incredible word there. It's related to service. But actually in Roman times and these Greek times they lived in, this was a word used for the supreme benefactors of a city. They were called ministers, right? And we even use this term even in some, some of our government stuff today. Uh, this is the minister of finance or other countries often would use that. And this is a person who, listen, sacrificially, selflessly cares for their own city. Back in the Greco-Roman times, this minister, this person would be at their own expense. They love their city so much at their own expense, they would give of their own money to help make their city a better place. Here are some of the things they did. They would often pay for an embassy to be built out of their own money. Again, no tax breaks in these days, no little plaques with your name on them in these days, but out of the generosity and the care for their own city, for the good of their own city, these ministers would do these things. They would often uh, build a theater and even pay the actors or pay the philosophers of those times or the poets of those times to come give the poetry and philosophical debates. These ministers were responsible for that. Uh, They would also uh, pay for the training of athletes in their city so that they could compete at the games. Again, no tax break, no, no, you know, Nike commercial afterwards with the benefactors. They did this out of the sacrificial 
generosity of their own heart. Uh, these benefactors, these ministers, would even pay for warships to be built and outfitted with weapons, and then they would pay the salary of the sailors to protect their city. These were the supreme benefactors who would sacrifice and give of their own money to protect and make their city a better place. And he says, man, listen, Risky E is coming back to you. Don't shame him. I want you to know he is like an apostle. He, is, he has been sent out, and just because I'm sending him back to you, that's not, that's not a problem. I want you to honor someone like this, man. I, I want you to um, welcome him home. You know, man, give this guy a royal welcoming. Don't think that he has failed at his task. And um, and so, man, he is um, encouraging them to make sure they hold him in honor uh, and celebrate him when he comes home. Give that man uh, a parade. Give him a banner when he comes home because Risky has been through some hard times because he has been sacrificing for my sake, for your sake, and for the sake, most importantly, of Jesus Christ. Notice what the rest of the text says, and this will explain some of the background there. Verse 26, he says this, For he, for he has been longing, he has been longing for all, for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Notice, he's not distressed because he was ill. He was distressed because the church was worried about him being ill. And uh, he was worried about, again, you know, letting them down and that they were distressed. And then uh, verse 27, it says this, Indeed, he was ill. He was ill near to what? Near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Risky E was near to death with some illness on this journey here. And listen to me now. Notice what Paul says. Paul is, is the apostle who, who earlier said, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But he is so concerned about Epaphroditus dying that he said it would cause him sorrow upon sorrow. Sometimes, listen, when people are going through a hard time, we, we give them these platitudes about, hey, look, they're going to be in heaven anyways, or don't worry about it. Don't cry. Don't be sorrowful. And, and Paul is the person who can say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, but also to say, man, death is still the enemy. Death is is still not part of God's original plan. Yes, Jesus has defeated death and we will gain ultimate victory, but death is still an ugly thing. And I don't want anybody to die. And so notice Paul's just realism here. I love that the scripture keeps us real and grounded, not gives us this fake and hollow uh, philosophy here. And so uh, continue on with me. Verse 28 goes on to say this. He says, I am uh, the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious because I was worried homeboy was going to die on my watch. And so it says this, verse 29, so receive him in the Lord. Receive him in the Lord, right? Give him a, a welcome home. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men as this, right? Honor such men. That's important. Honor him. Then verse 30, why? For he nearly died. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here is Risky E, risking his life. He nearly died for the work of Christ. Man, how this is the call upon all Christians is to live these lives of radical kingdom advancing Riskiness, gospel-centered risk-taking. 
Now listen, risk-taking is different than recklessness. I'm not talking about being a reckless Christian, but I'm talking about being a risk-taking Christian that risks sacrificially for the sake of the gospel. Kingdom advancing. God honors that. Kingdom advancing. I'm going to advance the kingdom, right? Others-centered and gospel-proclaiming risk. It's a risk to take the gospel to foreign countries where missionaries are not welcome. That's a risk. And God has called people for centuries to do that. God may be calling some of you to do that. He's calling all of us to take risks, not just big risks about going overseas. Or He's calling us to take a risk at our job. And, um, and, and man, live for Christ, live for holiness and righteousness, and to speak up about Christ. I'm not talking about speaking up about political issues. I'm talking about speaking up about Christ. Sometimes we love to speak about political issues, and we talk more about politics and less about Jesus. Man, take a risk with your neighbors, with your loved ones. But see, this again flies in the face of our American consumerism, of our American safety-conscious mindset, which is, whoa, 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 don't don't do anything that would be too risky. Uh, And and listen, the church and Americans, and I'm including myself in this, we have grown so soft. And I think this past year in the pandemic has helped us realize how soft and how much we value our comfort and our preferences. And so we have to be uh, people who, who understand that to be a Christian is risky. And again, not, not, not reckless. Reckless is self-centered. Risk, other-centered risk, is God-honoring. Recklessness, you know, is, is just foolishness. Recklessness is always about myself. It's not, it's not reckless to jump in front of a bullet to save your child. That's not reckless. That's, that's love. That's other-centered. It is reckless uh, <laughs> to jump out of the way and let your child take the bullet, right? That's, that's, that is reckless. That's the difference there between risk and recklessness. But we often say things like this even to our kids. Nothing is more important than your safety. Well, can I just tell you that's a lie? There is something more important than our safety. <laughs> the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, is far more important than our quote-unquote safety. In fact, the only way to be safe and to be eternally safe is to be connected and in the will of God to have a relationship with him. None of us will be safe until we are in the will of God. And so we have to remember this. And if Jesus isn't worth dying for, then he's certainly not worth living for. And so we've got to have this risk-taking reminder attitude. Well, I would often have coaches, you know, say things to me like this, Mackie, right? Strength coaches, basketball coaches, Mackie, you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Why? Because on my own in the weight room, I'm just going to push a little bit. I'm just going to do a little bit. I'm not going to push myself too hard. But all of a sudden you get the coach watching. He's like, give me two more. And you're like, I can't do two more. But with the coach there pushing you, all of a sudden you realize, Man, I can do two more. I was doing some stretches uh, earlier today. My wife was making fun of me. And in fact, showing she, she snapped some pictures of me stretching in, in my workout clothes, right? And I uh, was trying to embarrass me. And, um, and so I was doing some stretching. And uh, man, even in stretching, you know, without someone there really pushing me, I'm only going to stretch just a little bit. You know, I'm not going to push myself too hard. But one of the things I've been learning is, is man, the more I work on my stretching, the, the healthier my body becomes. And the same thing is true. Listen. If we want to accomplish God's mission as a church, we got to stretch. we got to stretch ourselves. And stretching doesn't always feel good, but it is always good for you. Notice again, can I bring up to you the verse that Jesus said earlier? Romans 6, uh, Matthew 16, 25 says this, For whoever would save his life will actually lose it. And, and those who would lose their lives for my sake will find it. Man, can we be sacrificially courageous Christians? 
I think about Jim Elliott, uh, who uh, back in October 28th of 1949, Jim Elliott was a missionary who went to South America. Great movie, uh, Beyond the Gates of Splendor. Put that on your uh, movie watch, family night thing. I mean, uh, your kid's got to be a little bit older. But uh, Jim Elliott ended up giving his life as a missionary for the Aqua Indians in Ecuador. And, um, and he knew this was a, a ferocious tribe. He knew this was a difficult tribe, and they had been murdering other tribes, uh, they have been murdering each other, they have been murdering any outsiders that would come. But he said, man, these people need to hear the message about Jesus. And there's this quote, probably one of the most famous quotes uh, um, uh, by Jim Elliott. And uh, he, he said this, he said, he is no fool. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he can never lose. He is no fool who can give what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. Again, great story. You can check it out beyond the gates of splendor. There's a couple of different documentaries about his life. And, uh, but Jim Elliott wrote that not for a poster like we use it today, although it's poster worthy. He didn't write that for a sermon. He didn't write that for a book. He wrote that in his private journal, reminding himself of the truth of the gospel, of the reason why he went and left all the comforts and went to South America for the sake of the gospel. He risked his life. And it's amazing how God exploded the growth of um, that uh, salvation to that tribe there in Ecuador. And uh, beautiful things happened with his wife and his children, even after the very difficult death of Jim. And so we are called to be these God-centered, radical risk-takers for the kingdom, kingdom advancing, God-honoring, other-centered risk-takers. The word here um, that was used at the end of the text here that he risked his life is actually uh, parabolani. And it's actually a gambling term. Sometimes it it means to gamble. It is this idea of those who stake everything on the roll of the dice. They would play dice games back in those days. He says, this is, he's one of these people who, who has staked everything on the roll of the dice but he knows how that dice is going to roll. And so back in the early Christian times, um, the early church, there was a group of men uh, and women who were called the Parabolani. They use the same word here. The gamblers is what it translates to, the risk takers. They were Christians, and they were actually called the risk takers. In the early centuries of the church, these gamblers or risk takers, their aim was to visit the sick, to visit the prisoners, especially those with dangerous infectious diseases. Back in those days, a lot of the Roman soldiers would come from foreign lands and they would come back and bring smallpox and diseases they had no clue about from other uh, areas. And so typically people just cast them aside. But the Christians, these Christians, the Parabolani, man, they were called the risk takers, the gamblers. They would go and they would, they would go and minister to these people. And so they got this nickname. And around uh, 252, there was a plague a really horrific plague. It's also known as the Cyprian plague. I mentioned Cyprian uh, last week. He was a bishop of the church in North Africa uh, in the early 200s. And uh, he has sort of gotten the name of this plague, not because he started, because he wrote as a pastor and a historian the most about it. It is believed to be that at its height, over 5,000 people a day were dying. And, um, and the historians go on to note this, is that many of the unbelievers would just throw the dead out and they would flee the cities. But historian Dionysius said this, the Christians 
were heedless of danger, meaning they didn't care about danger, but they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with this disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, but cheerfully accepting their pains. Cyprian would go on to write and talk about things um, and, uh, and, and encouraged uh, the people of his congregation to care for the sick. And, um, and it's interesting that even secular historians, in fact, one um, person who did some historical writing on CNN, which certainly isn't going to uh, promote a whole lot of uh, Christian values, uh, noted that even in cities with a large Christian population, the death rates were always lower. Why? Because the Christians risked their lives to help others. The Christians were unafraid, much like our medical workers of this past year, who, not giving thought to themselves, were continuing to care for COVID patients and so many of our frontline workers. So we are called to be like Risky E, live sacrificially courageous. We're called to be like Timothy, live selfishly courageous. You say, Pastor, okay, what do I do? I think the first thing I need to do and, and we all need to do is repent sort of from our safety conscious, protect ourselves, care for myself first and think about others next and realize that when we give our lives to Christ, when we lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, man, we really find life. Am I telling you, you know, don't wear a mask or anything crazy like that? No, I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that. Uh, I think the way we apply this is, is totally different in our time, uh, but we should certainly not be afraid to care for and love others. Again, that's the difference between risk and recklessness. Recklessness is just, ah, I'll be fine. No, nothing's ever going to happen to me. No, that's, that's foolishness. But risking for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes that doesn't have anything to do with your health. That has to do with your, your preferences. Sometimes that has to do with your comfort zone. I don't really like that thing. Why would I go talk to that person? My neighbor's new, right? That's risk when you risk your comfort zone when you risk your preferences, the things you would rather do, when you give of your time. I, I would prefer to stay home and watch TV than to bake a meal or to call someone. I, I would prefer to do my own life instead of taking time to pray through our directing. I, I prefer to do my own life instead of fasting and really seeking God's will for our city, for our church, right? See, these are the things we're talking about that we can do. And so I would just challenge you, repent from that mindset of seeking to protect yourself and then just find What's one thing you can do selflessly for someone else? You're, start with your, the people that live in your home. Start with your siblings. Start with your spouse. What's one thing you can do even today, selflessly, sacrificially? Just do one thing. And really, all this comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? All this comes back to Christ. Because Christ, in the earlier part of this chapter, here's what it says, Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. It says this, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He emptied himself. That's what Jesus did for us. He emptied himself. That's what we're called to do. Empty yourself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Christ came in human flesh. All the full head of the God, Godhead had to dwell in a body. Could you imagine what that was like for Christ who existed without any boundaries and now he's bound to a human body? Right? In verse 8, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a what? On a cross. Ladies and gentlemen, when, when we live selfishly and, and sacrificially for others, we're simply following the model of our Savior, Christ, who did this for us. 
And, and, and we're talking about a love worth dying for that Christ is worth dying for. But can I just remind you, if you don't know Christ personally through a relationship with him, he thought you were a love worth dying for. He loved you so much for God so loved the world that he thought you were worth dying for. God would rather have you restored back in a relationship with him. Your sin, my sin, had separated us from God. And God said, man, I'm going to go to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. You could give yourself to Christ. We'd love to help you do that. How do you do that, you say, Pastor? It's by simply asking God to forgive you, asking God to begin this relationship, giving him your life, saying, God, I'm going to deny myself and follow you and take up my cross no matter where that leads me. I want Christ. I realize what you've done for me. I realize that no one has loved you quite like me. There, there is no love here on Valentine's Day. Man, every Valentine's story, every rose bought, every uh, act of uh, kindness and dinner made and chocolates and all those sorts of things, those are all pictures, tiny, minuscule pictures of the great love of Christ, the greatest Valentine there has ever been, uh, the greatest sacrifice of love. And so if you would like to begin that relationship with Christ, you can just pray with me right there. Wherever you're at watching this, you can repeat this out loud. You can repeat it in the silence of your heart. You might want to say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, I'm sorry for my sins. But right now, I give myself to you. Right now, I give myself to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again on the third day. I believe you rose again on the third day. Help me, Jesus, to follow you all the days of my life. Help me, Jesus, to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to celebrate. Welcome home. Uh, what a great Valentine's uh, present that is, that you have found the most amazing, unfailing, mind-blowing love that the world has ever known found in Christ. Let us know in the chat. There's a little notification there. You can raise your hand, fill out a connection card. We want to help you grow in this love, to find out more about God's love for you. And for the rest of us, let's continue to love Christ back, to live in his love by giving our lives away, not protecting and preserving ourselves, but living for the glory of Christ. We'll see you next week.